Beloved, I began this Mass by indicating that we've journeyed into our third week in the season of Lent. So today is the third Sunday of Lent. And um, I want to suggest that the readings are trying to speak with us to evaluate our journey, you know, as we go through the season of Lent. Um, you know that the unexamined life is not worth living. So as we journey, we have to stop and we have to ask ourselves how exactly we are progressing in the spiritual life and that kind of thing. So I think that that is what the Word of God is seeking to do. Um, the first reading is from the book of Exodus chapter 3, the call of Moses. Um, I think that we might have time to, to speak, to stop and to speak about that passage of Scripture. It is an important passage of Scripture because it's a call narrative. And um, there are a number of you who are not sure. You're not sure what God intends for your life. You don't know what call there is upon your life. There are a number of you who are thinking, am I called to be a priest? You didn't say amen. You are refusing to say amen. A number of you who know that there is a call of the religious life to be sisters upon your life. Even you, though you are putting your fingers in your ears and not wanting to hear the call. But I'm sure that we will, we will have adequate time in the future to deal with the, question, <clears throat> with the question of the vocation, the question of the call. A very important question, especially for young people like you. Um, whether God is calling you to the married life. That one, you, you know. You are even saying, I claim it. So, we, we should have time to deal with these calls, okay, and, and the ramifications of it for your life. But today, I just want to stop briefly and speak with you about um, the passage that we've read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Um, that is our Gospel reading today. But I, I want to reflect with you, especially from the second part of that passage. This is Luke chapter 13, um, verses 6 through 9. Now, I'm of the impression that in the, whole, in the whole Bible, I don't know, but one of my favorite chapters is Luke chapter 13. I don't know why. I think that it's so concentrated with so much material. It's it's explosive, Luke 13. When you go back home, take your Bible, go back and read Luke 13. But today, the passage that we're reflecting on is the one about the fig tree planted in the vineyard. I want you to say fig tree, fig tree planted in a vineyard. That, that is what Maybe you were distracted when, when it was being read, so I'm, that's why I'm repeating it. It's the fig tree planted in the vineyard. The three-verse parable, short, that Jesus teaches. But we need to pay attention to it. There it is. He told them this parable. There was once a person who had a fig tree planted in, in his orchard. Um, in actual fact, I prefer the translation that says in the vineyard because... It's, it's something else. It's not just an orchard. 
So, so this, is, this is very, very important. And I'm going to tell you why. Why Jesus speaks about this story and why we should pay attention to it. Ah, there, here. So you can see from the uh, NKJV, it says, a fig tree planted in the vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and so on and so forth. Now, you see, any time that we hear stories about vineyards in the Bible, we, we need to stop and, and read them again. The Ampelon, the, big, the vineyard, very important um, issue in the Bible. Now, what is it about the vineyard? Now, there are three things that we need to un underline about the planting of a vineyard in the Bible. Now, the first thing is that if you go to any of the passages uh, that speaks about the planting of vineyards in the Bible, the first thing you notice is that it is capital-intensive. It takes a lot to plant a vineyard. So you want to read, for instance, from Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 and following. It will tell you over there also that a man planted a vineyard. And in fact, sometimes it will indicate to you that he, he chose a portion of land on a slope. So that means that vineyards, vines don't grow just anywhere. You need the best soil. Those of you who are doing agriculture, slightly undulating piece of land so that it doesn't retain too much water, but at the same time, it has enough. So you need your best piece of land. You can plant maize anywhere it will do well, not, a, not vines. Number two, it will tell you that then he plowed the land because you need good fertile soil. Then it will say that, and he built a wall around the vineyard. You read from Matthew chapter 21. And there's a reason for that. The other day, I think I was telling some of you, uh, when I was in the seminary, we were invited to the Franciscan Friary in Salt Pond. And when we went, Father Giles, an American Franciscan, was introducing us to the friary. And right in front of the friary, he had a vine salt pond, growing in front of the friary. And he said to all of us, come, let me show you something. And he brought all of us together, young seminarians, and he took, he plucked a branch of the vine, and he held it up before our eyes, and instantly, instantly, before our eyes, it withered. That's how delicate the vine is. You know how you can cut neem tree, you know, when you have when there's a, a breakdown on the road, you, you cut neem tree, you throw it there, you know, so the cars are, are worn, that, you know, there's, there's a, a breakdown. And it can be there for three, for a week, and it's still fresh and green, not the vine. So the reason you build a wall around your vineyard is to prevent animals that are straying from going through. Because if one fulani comes through your vineyard, that's the end. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You've lost your crop. So before a man builds a, uh, plants a vineyard, he must even invest in building a wall, a retaining wall around the vineyard. Then it will tell you, and he built a tower. Matthew chapter 21, 33 following. He built a tower because you even need to employ a watchman and keep him in the tower so that he is watching over your vineyard to ensure that there are no animals in your vineyard. 
And then you need to, to sink a, a wine press so that when you have the grapes, you can then press them and get, and get the, the, the juice for the wine. And you can imagine going through all this. How many of you have planted corn before? Maize. Behind your house, you just, you know, uh, hold the place a little, you, you put the seed in, and that's it. The only thing you have to be careful is when the chickens are coming that they don't, you know, scratch out what you planted, that's all. You can imagine what it takes to plant a, vine a vineyard. So that's the first thing. It takes so much investment, okay, to plant a vineyard. Number two, if you go through the scripture, the person who plants a vineyard is not called a farmer. He's called a vine grower. If you go to John chapter 15, it doesn't say that, you know, um, I'm the vine and you are the branches when the, when the farmer plants a vine. No. It speaks of the vine grower or the vine dresser. And the reason is that if you give vines to a cassava farmer to plant, you won't have any, any, any wine. It takes somebody who has the expertise. In fact, you have to prune it at the right time. You have to give it water at the right time. Somebody who knows whose life is dedicated to vines. That's the person you need. If you want fruit from the vine. Even if you go into the, the Old Testament, that's the third point, you will notice that in the Old Testament, there is an injunction, I will later find the passage for you, but there is an injunction that says that you are not allowed to plant vines and add any other crop in the same farm. You know how you can be planting mangoes and have cassava, you know, in, 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 the, in the same farm, you know, mixed cropping, call it. You cannot do that with a vineyard. The reason is that you have to be perfectly concentrated on what you're doing. No distractions. And to the extent, as I've mentioned to you before, that if you read from Deuteronomy chapter 20, reading from verse 6, if a man has planted a vineyard and there is war, as there is war in Ukraine, the king cannot command the man to leave his vineyard and go to war. No. If he's planted mangoes, the king can let him go. But if he has planted vines, and especially he has not yet tasted of the fruit of the vine, even the king has no right to command him to go to war. Now, you see, now all this that I'm saying is just to give you um, a, a, an outlook of what it means when Jesus says, a man planted a fig tree in a vineyard. Now, you see, the fig tree is like a mango tree. If you know mango, sometimes you, you eat a mango, you suck it, you throw the seed behind your house, and it generates. Who plants mangoes? At least not in our part of the world. It's only recently that for commercial reasons, people are planting mangoes. Nobody does that. You throw it behind your house, it grows. You don't need to go after it. You don't need to water it. You don't need to weed around it. That's the fig tree. And yet, Jesus says that a man deliberately planted a fig tree. In fact, he did what the, the law says he shouldn't do. He's not even allowed to plant anything else in his vineyard. He went against the law and he did that 
to ensure that this fig tree will have the care of a vine dresser. That fig tree was pruned. It was watered. It was, it was, in, it was in, you know, in an enclosure. There was a wall around it so animals couldn't go by it. It had, it had a watchman watching over a fig tree. Who does that to a mango tree? And this is the point. If after all that, the fig tree does not fruit, what shall we do to it? What shall we do to a fig tree that has been planted in a vineyard? Now you see, my friends, the story of the fig tree planted in a vineyard generally is the story of Israel, okay? And what Jesus is saying is that, look, you, you guys, Israel, you've had everything. You, you, had the, you had the vocation. You, like Abraham was called. You had the redemption. Like Moses brought you out of, of Egypt. You had the law. On Sinai, the law was given to you. You had the promised land. Joshua led you into it. You had the kingship with David. You had the prophets. What excuse do you have that the Messiah has been sent to you and you can't recognize him? But is it while we reflect on, on the meaning for the people of Israel... I suggest that we reflect on the meaning for my life. And you see, I usually like to compare that fig tree to a Catholic. You know Catholics are spoiled children. You don't know. I want to tell you five things that we are given as Catholics that the things that you know that we have them, they are gifts that are given to us, but very often we don't even know what we have. And I just want to reflect with you on those five things. We, we are spoiled with these spiritual gifts, and yet it's as if we don't know. The first one is the daily mass. The first one is the daily mass. Um, I remember it was on Ash Wednesday when we came for mass here. This place was full. You, you could hardly, there were, there were chairs outside. And you, you could hardly find a place to stand. And I remember the following day, um, Thursday morning, we were here for morning mass. And I think it was Father Maximilian, if I remember correctly, who was saying the mass. And he said, but where's everyone? The daily mass. One of the things I want to say to you young people, as you're growing up as Catholics, um, you have the Sunday mass and you do well to come to Sunday mass. But I want to say one thing to you. If you can't come for daily mass, take at least one day in the week, which becomes your day of mass during the week. It's a gift that has been given to you. Take at least one day. It could be that you are born on Monday, come for Mass on Monday. Tuesday, come for Mass on Tuesday. Or any day in the week. But take one day 
to benefit from that gift which God has given you. I know what I'm talking about. I don't want to say everything today. That's the first thing. Number two, the second gift which you have been given, which sometimes you forget exists. You've been spoiled with it, but you don't know. It's a gift of the Adoration Chapel. Do you know where the Adoration Chapel is? Do you know? No, I know that there are some who are in this chapel who don't know where the Adoration Chapel is. That's highly probable. When you go out of this door, right in the corner there, the Blessed Sacrament is, is reserved there practically 24-7. And sometimes when, when you're down, sometimes during the week, sometimes you're just passing by, just stop. Go into the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. Remain there for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes, for 30 minutes. Stay there and commune with the Lord. It's another gift you have been given. The third gift you have been given, which sometimes you don't even know you have, is the gift of confession. Last Wednesday, I believe that there was a penitential service uh, and a good number of you were able to come. But many of us don't even know that gift that we have. The gift of the sacraments of penance and reconciliation. So, there are some who for five years have not taken advantage of it. And, and you are carrying stuff from ten years ago. And it's eating you up. Thick tree, listen to me. Go for the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Take advantage of the orchard, of the vineyard in which you have been placed. Number four, I've said this to you, and I say it to you again. When you are leaving your room, there is one thing you always check for to see whether it's in your pocket. That's your phone. Am I right? Oh, I'm not hearing you. Check the other pocket and make sure your rosary is in it. And one of the biggest luxuries that we have is the gift of the mother of God. And you know, in my spiritual life, and I've been a, a Catholic for a few years now, I've noticed that any time that I am praying my rosary consistently, I'm cruising in the spiritual life. Keep your rosary in your pocket. And when you're walking around campus, I don't say that you should bring it out because you are scared. Even if it's in your pocket, just be rolling them around your, your fingers. Get into that habit of walking around praying your rosary. You're moving from one hall to another, from one lecture to another. Use those opportunities for prayer. Number five. As a Catholic, you are spoiled with readings that have been selected for you every day. You take the readings, the daily readings, they are there. First reading, the responsorial psalm, the gospel. Every single day. Yours is to take your missile or to take your Bible, open it, 
and feed. Feed on the word of God. And your spiritual life will flourish. So friends, when I speak of you as a, a fig tree planted in a vineyard, I'm saying to you that all that you need for your spiritual growth and your spiritual nourishment is all around you. You have more than enough. And what real excuse shall we give when we encounter the Lord to say to him, I don't have the fruits. Now today, I want to pray with you uh, it's our third week in the season of Lent. We have about two and a half more weeks before we enter into Holy Week. But I want to pray with you that you will rediscover the gifts that God has given you. You rediscover the spiritual wealth that surrounds you every day. You learn to tap into it for your own growth. And so that on that day of reckoning, when the Lord calls on you, you will have abundant fruit to show for what he's given. And may God bless you. Amen.